Hello, welcome to the Pocket Contemplative. I'm Dave Smelser. Psychologists tell us a surprising thing about stress and short-range suffering, which is that we're encouraged to go ahead and suffer under those circumstances when we have to suffer, but not in anticipation of it. And then, who knew, saints like the one we looked at last time, Teresa of Avila, encourage us in our spiritual growth along really similar lines. So today, I'll start off with a brief story of some recent short-range suffering on my end and how it went differently and better than it likely would have earlier in my life, and perhaps very much along the lines that Teresa and the neuroscientists have in mind. We'll then take a tour of those insights, including some profound takes along those lines from Matthew's Gospel, and I'll close with a few starter tips for putting these things into practice. A brief note before we get rolling, you can learn about things like weekly online groups we host around the spirituality with people from around the U.S. and beyond, along with lots more interesting stuff like short instructional videos at our parent website at journey-on.net. Again, that's journey-on.net. You should check it out. And of course, if you enjoy the Pocket Contemplative, by all means, tell your friends about it and leave a review where you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get moving with It Hurts, But Only Briefly. Recently, I got the unsettling news that I was going to need dental surgery and not a small amount of it. A combination of some poor dental work some years back and then the ability, excuse me, the lack of ability to see a dentist during the early parts of the pandemic had left me with needing some major dental work for the first time in my life. And of course, it was distressing and I spent some time bemoaning my poor earlier dental care that had led to the sorry state. And some kind friends hearing about this prayed for me and remembered enough to check in on how I was doing. But then a surprising thing happened. I actually didn't really think about it at all until it happened. I live close enough to my dentist that give it enough lead time. I can walk there, and I found myself over multiple days, stretching over a few months, again and again walking over there, not really thinking much about what was going to happen one way or the other, and then having the work done, which was usually at the very least uncomfortable and sometimes lasted most of the day, and then walking back and doing whatever was in front of me for the rest of the day until some family member thought to say, hey, didn't you have more dental surgery today? In these experiences, I found myself thinking both about what we began talking about the last time on the Pocket Contemplative, this this big theory of spiritual development from this famed teacher, Teresa of Avila, along with more that I've learned from psychologists and neuroscientists. So Teresa, you might remember, hangs her famous theory of spiritual development around an extended analogy. She suggests that once we start to realize we're excited to learn about how to follow God, we begin as if we're like a silkworm, where all of our diligent, heartfelt spiritual practices help spin a web that will ultimately help us cocoon with God until, God willing, God transforms us into a butterfly that now, rather than trudging up a leaf, can fly with God's breeze as we move towards a powerful union with God. Those post-chrysalis stages, those union with God stages, are characterized by increasingly higher levels of trust in whatever God's doing in our lives, of submission to whatever God has in store. So in earlier stages, we might hear about those things and think, well, sure, those sound like good things, I should do them. But in her later stages, we no longer try to trust God or to to submit to whatever God is doing in our lives. Now we just ever increasingly do seem to trust and submit to God. It's the Yoda insight. There's no try, there's just do. And that's how we experience being a butterfly rather than being a silkworm in her world. Our life gets lighter and freer with this transformed experience of trust. In some small way that I'll detail, I might wonder if that's some of what I experienced with my extended dental surgeries. An intriguing way into this, for me at least, 
comes from some lectures I've been listening to recently on understanding the mysteries of human behavior by a psychologist at Duke. He looked from a scientific angle at questions like, why do people need self-esteem or do they? Or how can siblings be so different? Or why do hurt feelings hurt? I was particularly struck by his insights in his lecture on why are so many people so stressed out? He begins by saying that acute stress is something we share with all animals and is not harmful. But chronic stress is uniquely human and is inbred from our primordial ancestors and ties into fears that we have for the future. So chronic stress as a human being is hardwired into us in a way that the animal kingdom doesn't share. So living in the wild, for instance, we lived in an immediate return environment. But in the modern world, we mostly live in a delayed return environment in which most of what we do may or may not pay off in the future. So this guy, again, is at Duke. Academics in university settings typically use university students as their psychology subjects. And so they will study students. Students worry about exams. But students don't just worry about exams. They also worry about finding a job after graduation and setting up a future. Will they ever be able to buy a house? Things like that. That's chronic stress, stuff that they can't do anything about right now. It's in the future, but they still carry it, they've discovered. So the most common stressors researchers have found that lead to chronic stress, money by far, no surprise, relationships going well or poorly, worrying will they go badly in the future is also common. Characteristics of chronic stress, as differentiated from the good kind, from acute stress, is again that there's not an immediate remedy for it. So when animals feel acute stress, they can run away from the predator, for instance. They can do something. But chronic stress leads to helplessness. Again, if students can't establish how they'll be able to be employable and so on, they just feel chronic stress and feel helpless. And again, just remember, human beings are hardwired for that bad kind of stress. Jesus directly addresses this in his famous passage in the Sermon on the Mount that we've touched on in an earlier podcast where he seemed to suggest that the kind of trust in him that Teresa describes in her later stages that she calls mansions is the only way to overcome our hard wiring for this thing that's going to kill us. So he says, therefore, famously, I tell you, <clears throat> do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So he points to birds who do feel acute stress but don't feel chronic stress. And he uses them as our models as if we can take that model into ourselves. He says later, let today's acute own troubles be sufficient for today. What's happening now, feel it. If you got stress, if you're that bird being chased by a predator, fly away. If your heart surges, so be it. But worrying that a predator might come tomorrow is just not something birds do. We need to take our model from them. And again, these commands go against our hard wiring, but in a useful and intriguing way that suggests a kind of transcendence through what he's proposing. Teresa of Avila's butterflies don't feel chronic stress, and they have decreasing levels even of acute stress as they learn to flit with the breeze. But her silkworm is the one that has to trudge through stressors, the non-transformed creature. So what might we do on our road to embracing acute stressors, sitting for hours through dental surgery, say, while shunning chronic stressors, say, being stressed out by the prospect of many hours in dental surgery? Here are a few things we might keep in mind. 
First, we've talked in previous podcasts about this thing called working your fundamentals. So first bit of advice, work your fundamentals. Whatever helps to connect you with God in any way, be faithful to keep doing that thing. If it's journaling, if it's praying, if it's reading the Bible, if it's going to church, if it's meditating, whatever it is, do that thing. Work your fundamentals. This is part of how Teresa encourages us to navigate the early mansions, and that's what leads us to embrace her so-called prayer of quiet in her fourth mansion, which then makes all the good stuff to come possible. Again, this is training us for the hope of finding our way into her later mansions, her later stages of development, where we find ourselves trusting God more and more, moment by moment, until we're delightfully united with Him. So if you have fundamentals that have helped you with God so far, work them. Secondly, let tomorrow's, or I suppose this afternoon's, stresses remain tomorrow's or this afternoon's stresses. Let tomorrow's stresses remain tomorrow's stresses. Of course, this is just me rephrasing the Sermon on the Mount, but I find myself remembering one of the key lessons I learned back in my pastoring a large church days. So like all pastors, I faced a fairly steady diet of challenging conversations with people who disagreed with me about something, or people who perhaps were causing other people problems or things along those lines. And I found myself so helped by some later counsel from Jesus, also in Matthew's gospel, where he says in Matthew 10, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to the local councils. You're going to be flogged in the synagogues, he says to his disciples. On my account, you'll be, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. All right, so clearly that does not apply to me in any way. I was not out doing great things for God and being taken before, you know, hostile forces and then trusting the Holy Spirit's going to give me what to say. So in the one sense, on the one hand, how does that apply to anything? But let's work with it. Let's extend that um, teaching just a bit. What I took from it was that when I anticipated some challenging conversation later in my week that I had to do because I was the pastor of this, this uh, bustling church and there were things that had to be addressed that people were mad at me or something, I needed to resist mentally running different scenarios of how the conversation might go because I could do that for days beforehand. I'm in the shower and I'm thinking, well, if he says X, I'm going to say Y, but then maybe he'll suggest the outrageous perspective of Q, in which case I'll need to put him in his place with V or whatever. Trusting that the Holy Spirit would speak through me, I needed to have the conversation whenever I actually had the conversation. I needed to embrace the acute stress of that moment rather than living in the chronic stress of trying to protect myself from that acute stress by working endless possible scenarios beforehand. At the very least in Matthew 10, Jesus is saying that. He might be saying more than that, but he's at least saying that, that when we're dragged into some difficult circumstance, Trust that the Holy Spirit's going to give us what we need then, and don't die the thousand deaths before then. Then be curious about stresses when they are actually there. Be curious about stresses when they're actually there. In the dentist chair, I explored what I was experiencing. Gee, I wonder what's happening now as my head is tilted back and a dentist is leaning into me, which they would do quite a bit over many hours in the surgery I had to do. I'm thinking to myself, wow, he's really leaning into it now, really putting his back into my, my gum line here. It must be exhausting for him. He's not a young man. And so I let myself experience and be curious what's going on now to be present to that moment happening because it's letting today's trouble be sufficient for today. It's today's trouble. I might as well be there. Uh, and I might as well do that rather than just try to think of something else to mentally check out. I could 
discover then that I would flit with that breeze just fine when it was actually happening. And then when it was no longer happening, by my curiosity when I was going through it, I was just as curious when I was walking home about what it was like then. And by the time I got home, I'd kind of, it was just the past. I wasn't even thinking about it. I didn't have to recount it for my family until they thought, didn't you just have hours of dental surgery? How'd that go? So be curious about stresses when they're actually there. Um, consider counting breaths during your spiritual practice in training for this. Consider counting breaths during your spiritual practice as training for this. I ran across some advice to beginner contemplatives that had somehow escaped me until recently, but which I've really enjoyed. The advice suggests that each day when we take a moment for contemplative practice, we start off by counting our breaths, and here's what they mean. So again, you'll remember classic contemplative practice that I think is part of the prayer of quiet that Teresa taught and is taught widely in many settings is... You pick a time. The Trappist monks suggest 20 minutes, but you, you pick whatever time you want to pick. And when you sit down to do it, you start off by just being still and noticing that you're breathing. You kind of notice how your breath is coming through your nostrils or through your uh, chest rising and falling or whatever, and you just notice it. And then when your thoughts kind of carry you away to some other thing, after a while when you realize that's happened, you sort of name it like, oh, hey there, I see you prepping for dinner tonight. And then you just go back gently to your breath and you continue. This counting breaths idea was suggested for beginning monks in one setting I heard about, where they said for these beginning monks, they all had to learn how to count breaths because they couldn't stay still. And they're going to be doing this. They're monks. They're going to be doing this for many years now. They might as well get moving on it. And so what they're told is just try to count 10 breaths. One breath is the in-breath and the out-breath makes for one. And um, just count 10 breaths. And until you realize your thoughts have drifted off and, you know, when your thoughts, you realize your thoughts have drifted off, just start over again at one. And the suggestion was, for most people, even some experienced meditators, if you're really serious about this, you can't make it past two. I thought, that's ridiculous. I had been doing this for a while by this point, and I thought, I'll do it. And so I think, okay, one. Oh, man, what's that project I'm working on again? I wonder what I should be doing about that. Here's basic ways I could think. And I go, shoot, one. I didn't make it past two. And so I discovered getting to 10 was no easy task. But it was sort of fun. I sort of took it with a smile. I thought, I'm going to doggone it. I'm going to make it to 10. And I discovered once I kind of noticed it, I could make it far further. I could make it to 30, which I, I now use sort of as a, a warm-up. It's sort of like, um, I don't know, a wind sprint before you run your marathon. Uh, I might just do 30. I'll say, give me 30, and I'll do that. I've made it into triple figures. But the only way to do that is I've discovered my rule for myself is if I'm at 73, and I think, 72, <sighs> What's for dinner tonight? 73. I keep going because I was able to make the next number without my thoughts drifting me off. But if I think 72, who's shopping? Who actually is shopping? Is that my shopping? Is one of my family members shopping? I think, shoot, one. And I will go back. But if I can make it to the next number in sequence, in the breath, I keep going. Anyway, consider counting breaths. Here's what I discovered happens when I do it. It's really helped me get steady and get still to prepare for what Teresa of Avila calls the prayer of quiet. And that, I think, was so helpful for me with what has come to pass with, like, my dental surgery, is that just by being able to count to 30 or count to 10 with my whatever it is to my breasts, I think what I discovered is I could be present just to God, to be where God was, to trust God here. And that helped me lose some chronic stress, because rather than thinking, oh my gosh, in three days, I'm going to go have hours of dental surgery. That sounds horrible and expensive and all the other things that don't sound pleasant. Oh man, that's rotten. And some rotten dentist earlier on did a bad job on some dental work. And now I'm paying the price and the pandemic, you know, all whatever I could fulminate about. 
I would discover those things happening and I would just sort of smile and I would count breaths a little bit and I would let it go. And then I would just get on with my day and enjoy my day just fine. And even walking over where I could anticipate, you know, I'm, I'm leaving a half hour early to get there on time. I have a whole half hour to think, man, in a half an hour, I'm going to have some very unpleasant circumstances. I wasn't really doing it. I would just discover on the walk. I'm just doing whatever I'm doing on the walk and enjoying it. Say hi to the receptionist when I check in. And suddenly I'm in the chair and I think, I wonder what this is going to be like. Let today's own trouble be sufficient for today. Let this moment be like the birds. And if there's an acute stress, be curious about it. And that, again, is our summary of the advice. So if I have small tips, work your fundamentals. Let tomorrow's or this afternoon's stresses remain tomorrow's or this afternoon's stresses. Be curious about stresses when they're actually there. And consider counting breaths during your spiritual practice as training for this. So as with our fellow animals, life inevitably, I can't even say this word, we end up together. Life inevitably brings us stressor after stressor. But with her own analogy from the natural world, just like Jesus had his analogy from the natural world, Teresa helps us take our cue from our animal mentors as we learn to embrace acute stressors, which turn out to harm us not at all in the long run, and shun the chronic stressors, which shorten our lives and make them less fun, and which also prevent us from the kind of spiritual growth that might give us the kind of lightness that ultimately bonds us with God. So why don't you give it a try today and see what you think? I'll look forward to connecting with you again soon.